How you doing? This is Mike for Working Class Thoughts. So today's episode is actually going to be on Lucky Luciano, which is personally one of my favorite uh, organized crime figures, next to actually Buzzy Siegel, as well as Meyer Lansky, which we're also going to cover briefly in this episode too. So we have a lot of material to get through. So I'm going to go ahead and straight uh, just jump right into it. So Lucky Luciano's real name was actually Salvatore Charles Lucania. And he was actually born November 24th, 1897 in La Crea, uh, Friedi, uh, Sicily. Lucky's parents' name was Antonio and Rosalia uh, Caparelli in Lucania. Now, Lucky had four siblings, Bartomia, GSV, Flippa, and Cassetta. Now, Lucky's father worked in a sulfur mine in uh, Sicily. It was in April 1906 that Lucky and his family actually immigrated to the United States. Now, Lucky was only nine years old at the time. They settled in New York City in the Lower East Side in Manhattan. Now, Lucky decided actually to drop out of school at the age of 14, which wasn't really that uncommon in that time period. Now, he decided to work a regular job delivering hats, making $7 a week. Now, keep in mind that this would be proven to be his only regular job. Now, one day, Lucky won $249 in a dice game behind an alley. So he decided that moment he was going to quit his job and begin making money on his street. So he used that $249, basically, to begin his career on his street. Now, Lucky's parents as a result of him deciding to drop out of school, actually decided to put him in a Brooklyn Trent school that same year that he dropped out. Now, Lucky did start his actual um, first gang when he was only a teenager. Lucky was a member of the, um, of the old Five Points gang. Now, most of the teen gangs, they mainly did, you know, like petty crime. However, even at a young age, Lucky really thought differently than everybody else that was around him. Lucky decided he was going to offer protection for the Jewish kids from the Italian and Irish gangs that were predominant in that area. Now, Lucky charged only 10 cents a week for his protection. And, you know, that was around World War I. So it was around that time period in World War I that Lucky actually began learning to pimp train. Uh, pimping trade. Now, Lucky also met Meyer Lansky as a teenager around the same uh, around the same time period. So, Lucky was actually trying to extort money from Meyer Lansky when he saw him, and telling him that he could actually offer him protection. Now, Meyer was actually very defiant to Lucky's threats, and you know this actually earned Lucky's respect. The fact that he was willing to stand up to him, Lucky was like, "All right." You know, I mean, I hear you out. So from that moment on, they were actually lifelong partners, literally. So no one knows for sure how Lucky actually got the nickname Lucky. However, there is different stories that goes with it, such as the first being that he survived a severe beating as well as a throat slashing by three men in 1929. Now, it was because Lucky actually refused to work for another mob boss is the reason behind this. Some say it was because of his notorious gambling luck that earned him the nickname. 
Others say it is a simple mispronunciation of his name. Um, so get this. From 1916 to actually 1936, Lucky was actually arrested a total of 25 times on charges that ranged from assault to illegal gambling, blackmail, robbery. And he, throughout this whole time, he actually managed to spend no time in prison. Um, and again, this is another rumor behind his nickname. No one knows for sure how he got his nickname. Or uh, no one knows for sure uh, why he changed it to Luciano from Lucania. Again, people said it was because newspapers kept mispronouncing his name. So it was around January 17th, 1920th, that the 18th Amendment of the United States Constitution actually took effect. Prohibition period lasted until the repeal in, uh, around 1933. So no one was actually allowed to manufacture, sell, or transport alcohol during that time period. Now, this created a massive black market void and, you know, to basically feed the public's demands, and they were vast. Um, so by 1920, Lucky actually managed, uh, met many of his future mafia leaders through the Five Points gang that he was actually part of, including Vito, uh, Vito Genovese, Frank Castello. And it was around that same year Lucky was actually recruited by Joe Mazzaria. Now, you know, as actually one of his higher gunmen. Now, Lucky and his close associates actually also began working for Arnold, uh, Arnold the Brain Rothstein around the same time period. Now, he, now, Arnold Rothstein was a man that actually liked to think. Now, he taught Lucky how to bootleg alcohol as a business uh, rather than just kind of like a loose side hustle. Now, Lucky, Costello, Genovese started their own bootlegging business with financing that they got from Rothstein. Now, Rothstein taught Lucky much of what he actually knew. Rothstein, uh, um, oh, including how to move, uh, you know, in high class society. So in 1923, Lucky was actually caught selling heroin to an undercover agent. And although he did not serve any jail time, he did, you know, suffers really severe damage to uh, his high class, like his image to the, his high class associates, as well as his customers that he made through the high class associates. So he basically lost a lot of them as a result of that because no one wanted to be seen talking to him. So re this actually resulted in Lucky deciding to buy 200 VIP seats for the Jack Dempsey Lewis uh, Furpo boxing, boxing match. Now, he actually distributed them among politicians as well as high ranking mob bosses around different neighborhoods. Now, Rothstein actually took Lucky on a shopping trip shortly before that fight to buy him expensive clothes for the fight. Now, their strategy actually worked, and Lucky's reputation was actually saved as a result of that. It was one of those boxing matches where, you know, everybody was going to be there. So Lucky was actually earning roughly around $12 million a year and made personal income of around about, you know, $4 million. So, and he mainly got this from uh, legal gambling and bootlegging. Now, by 1925, Lucky soon became one of the top players in the Masseria 
criminal organization. Now, Rothstein was intelligent, and Mazaria was uneducated, and he had very poor actual manner skills. Now, very, lim- very, very limited manageable skills. Now, by the late 1920s, Mazaria's main rival became Salvatore uh, Maranzano. Now, he came from Sicily directly to run the Castilla uh, Macris clan. Now, it actually escalated into a very bloody uh, war. And you have to understand that Mazaria and Mar- uh, Maranzano, they were part of the original mobsters that immigrated from Sicily. And this actually meant that they started their careers in Sicily directly. And they, were, they went by very old school Sicilian rules. Now, they believed in honor, tradition, respect, and dignity. They also refused to work with non-Italians, and they really actually disliked, disliked working with anybody that was non-Sicilian, actually. So if they could, they would avoid it. So really, some only worked with people from their own village in Sicily, in fact. That's how traditional that they could get. Now, Lucky, however, he still thought differently, and he was willing to work with not only Italians, but also Jewish and Irish gangsters. As long as there was a profit to be made, Lucky really did not really care too much about anything else. Now, Lucky was actually shocked to hear traditional bosses get upset at him for working with uh, Paul Castello. Or Castello, sorry about that. They called him a dirty Calabrian. Lucky actually began establishing ties to, young, uh, to younger mobsters who were born in Italy, but began their criminal careers in the United States. He actually felt that was very important for what Lucky's uh, plan was, and we're going to discover that here in a minute. Um, so they were actually known as Young Turks by the older crowd. As the war actually continued, the group came to include Castello, Genovese, Albert Anastasia, and Joe um, Adonis. Now, Joe Bonanno and Carlos Gambino Joe Perfossi and Tommy uh, uh, Gaglino, sorry, and Tommy Lucchese. Now, the young Turks believed that their older bosses kept them from their uh, from their greed. Well, let me back up. The younger gangs actually felt that the older bosses, you know, they were actually keeping keeping them poor. And feeding their greedy habits, meaning that they were working for hardly nothing. Meanwhile, the bosses were getting fat and wealthy, and they were getting jacked basically for it. So while they watched the Irish and Jewish gangs get rich by their elders. So Lucky's vision was an actual national crime uh, criminal syndicate of Italian, Jewish, and Irish gangsters. And they could actually pull together and create a lucrative business for everyone in their neighborhoods. Now, he named this the Commission, and it was founded in Atlantic City by Lucky Luciano, Johnny Torreno, and Castello. May 1929, October of 1929, Lucky was actually forced at gunpoint into a limousine by three different men, and he was beaten, stabbed, and strung up by his hands from a beam in a warehouse that was located in Staten Island, New York. Now, he survived, however, and he was actually left with a, you know, pretty 
pretty gnarly scar and a droopy eye as a result. Whenever you look images at them, you'll see that droopy eye. And that was from this actual event that we were just talking about. Now, no one actually knows for sure who attacked him. However, in 1953, Lucky told a reporter that the police were the ones who were responsible for it. <clears throat> and they did this in an attempt to find Jack Legg's diamond. Some say Marizano actually ordered the attack himself. And early in 1931, Lucky had enough of Mazzarella's business. And, you know, the war proved to really go very badly for Mazaria. And Lucky saw this as a chance to switch allegiances real quick. <clears throat> hmm. So, he actually arranged a secret deal with Maranzano, and he agreed to en uh, engineer Mazaria's death, resulting in the first in the return of Mazaria's rackets and becoming Marizano's second-in-command as a result. Now, Joe Adonis decided to join Mazaria's faction. Once Mazaria heard of Lucky's betrayal, he approached Adonis and asked him, Hey, can you kill Lucky? I need you to kill Lucky Luciano. However, he warned Lucky about the plot. His loyalty stayed to Lucky Luciano. So, April 15, 1931, Mazaria was killed while eating at a uh, Coney Island restaurant in Brooklyn that was called Nueva Villa Tamaria. Now, while they were playing cards, Lucky Luciano reportedly got up and excused himself to go to the restroom. And the gunmen were reported to be none other than Anastasia, Genevieve, Adonis, and Benjamin Bugsy Siegel and Sirio, the artichoke king, Terrano. And, you know, he actually drove the getaway car. Sorry. Legend says Serio was actually too scared to drive. And Benjamin Bugsy Siegel threw him out of the driver's seat and drove the getaway car instead. And he also became Maranzano's lieutenant, for which ended the uh, Calamari or Calamarsary War. With Mazaria gone... Maranzano reorganized the Italian-American gangs in New York City into five separate families, headed by Lucky Luciano, Perfasi Gagliano, Vincent Magano, and himself. Now, Maranzano declared himself the boss of all bosses, the capo di tutti capi, or boss of all bosses. Now, he also... Uh, witted down the rival family's rackets in favor of his own rackets. Although Marizano uh, uh, was more forward-thinking than Mazaria was, Lucky still believed he was even more greedier than he was and uh, hidebound than Mazaria was. So, by September of 1931, Marizano realized Lucky Luciano was a threat, so he hired Vincent Mad Dog uh, Vincent Mad Dog Call, who was an Irish gangster, to kill him. Now Lucchese gave uh, Lucky Luciano a warning that he was marked for death. So uh, September tenth, Marizano ordered Lucky Luciano, Genovese and Costello to come to his Manhattan office located at two, uh, 230 Park Avenue. Lucky was convinced 
that if he went, he was going to get killed somehow. So he decided to strike first. And he sent four Jewish gangsters to Marizano's people, disguised as government federal agents. Two of them actually disarmed his bodyguards. And the other two, aided by Lucchese, who was there to point Marizano out to the gunmen, then stabbed him multiple times before shooting him multiple times. It was the first assassination of many to come to be known as the Night of the Sicilian Vespers. Now, September 13th, the corpse of two other Marizano allies, Samuel Monaco and Louis Russo, was retrieved from the Newark Bay in New Jersey. So Joseph Saragusi, the, letter, uh, the leader of the Pittsburgh crime family, was shot to death. Joe um, Arizoni, head of the Los Angeles Department, actually would... Uh, oh, his disappearance would actually mark the, um, you know, Lucky Luciano's efforts in wiping out the old Sicilian bosses. Once the death of Marizano happened... Lucky became the dominant crime boss in the United States of America, and he set policies and directed activities. His own family, gambling extortion, bookmaking, uh, loan sharking, drug trafficking. Lucky became the leader of labor union activities as well, and he also controlled Manhattan's waterfront, as well as the garbage hauling all across New York, as well as construction and uh, garment district and trucking routes as well. Lucky abolished the boss of all bosses title because he actually believed that it created trouble between all of the families. And he made himself, that would make himself a target for another challenger that wanted that title. So he said enough of it. He's tired of it. So he abolished it. Instead, Lucky made himself commissioner, head commissioner and maintained control through the commission that he formed. By making himself, uh, by making unofficial alliances with other bosses in other areas. Now, he kept the tradition of the uh, Sicilian ceremony of the made man in the crime family, uh, sta- <clears throat> stating that it's a Sicilian tradition that cannot be broken. Lucky Luciano taught and maintained in Omorata the oath of silence to protect the families uh, both from rivals and from prosecution. He also kept the structure of having five families within New York City. Now, uh, once his family, the Luciano crime family, was formed, he elevated his mass-trusted people to higher, higher positions within the stature of the commission. Genevieve became the underboss, and Costello uh, became the advisor. Um, Adonese, uh, uh, Michael Trigger, Mike Capola, Anthony Strolla and uh, William Moratti and Anthony Carfong were all promoted to captains or capos. Meyer Lansky and Benjamin Bunsey Siegel were actually non-Italians, so they could not be made official members. However, Meyer Lansky was Lucky Luciano's most trusted advisor and Buzzy Siegel was his most trusted associate. It was said that any decision that Lucky Luciano made, Meyer Lansky was somewhere in his ear in the process of making that decision. So, 1931, Lucky actually decided to call a meeting in Chicago with various other bosses. And he brought up the commission officially to serve as the governing body for all organized crime families 
to settle disputes and decide which families controlled which territories. And it is considered that Lucky, it was actually considered to be Lucky Luciano's greatest accomplishment of his life. He was the man that organized crime. He put organized in the word organized crime, basically. So it was originally the five New York five, uh, five New York crime families, the Buffalo crime family, and the Chicago outfit, and later the Philadelphia and Detroit families were added. Now, smaller families were to be represented by a commission family, meaning if they were there, there was somebody speaking up for them. They were like the little homies. You know what I'm saying? So it provided resp- uh, representation for Jewish gangsters as well. Lucky Luciano made that a fact. So 1935, the first test uh, actually came. They ordered Dutch Schultz to drop his plans to murder Thomas E. Dewey. Lucky Luciano stated it would be a cause for a massive law enforcement crackdown on everybody. And it would disrupt all of our businesses. So Schultz left the meeting extremely angry and aggravated. And he continued to press the matter to other people outside of the meeting. So on October 23rd, 1935, Dutch Schultz was shot in a tavern in Newark, New Jersey. So during the early you know, 1930s, Lucky Luciano's family started, um, started making... Oh, started taking over most of the smaller scale prostitution operations in New York City and unifying them. So it was uh, Eunice Carter, who was the assistant DA, who made the connection between Lucky Luciano and the prostitution network of New York City. So what was Carter doing? Uh, He was actually working a racketeering and prostitution network that actually ran from New York City to New Jersey. He decided... He did get evidence from hookers and wiretaps. So February 2nd, 1936, Dewey authorized Carter to raid 200 brothels in Manhattan and Brooklyn, New York, to prevent tip-offs of gang leaders and police corruption from upcoming raids. Um, Eunice actually assigned 160 officers outside of the vice squad to conduct raids. Officers were instructed to wait at different store corners until the orders were only minutes away from starting. During that first raid, 10 men and 100 hookers were actually arrested. However, um, he changed it up again and arrest and normally arrestees, you know, could actually be released after being arrested. Only this time they were kept and taken to court directly. So where the judge can actually set bail amounts that were 10,000 times higher than what was their ability to pay, making sure that they would not be released. Um, So he actually managed to build up a lot of trust with the hookers and the madams. Almost all said that they were being and raped by different mafia members and actually managed to get many of them to testify stating that they would uh, not have to serve any jail time. And it was really around mid-March that the um, defendants actually began implicating Lucky Luciano directly. Three of the hookers stated that Lucky Luciano was the pimp in control, meaning the leader of all the prostitution ring. So 
he was buying um uh he would show up mainly to collect the money. They said that David Batello was in charge of the hookers. However, any money that was made went directly to Lucky Luciano. It was March of 1936 that Lucky Luciano was tipped off that he was about to be arrested. So he went on a run. And he went to Hot Springs, Arkansas, which um, it just so happened to be that New York detective happened to be in Hot Springs, Arkansas on a completely different assignment. Now, he happened to spot Lucky Luciano, and he called Dewey directly. Um, Lucky Luciano had been on a run for roughly around two years at that point. By April 3rd, Lucky Luciano was arrested in Hot Springs, Arkansas on a warrant from New York. So the very next day in New York, Dewey indicted or indicated that Lucky uh, Luciano and 60 of his men on compulsory prostitution. April 6th, some... um, on, uh, ooh. So Lucky's uh, Luciano's attorney actually began finding a, fighting against the extradition in New York. <clears throat> On April 6th, some person actually offered $50,000 in efforts to bribe the Arkansas Attorney General, Carl Bailey, to, uh, to not hand over Lucky Luciano's case. However, he refused it and reported it. Basically, you know, within minutes, they said it was around April 17th that uh, Lucky Luciano's legal options in Arkansas completely wore out and they handed him over to New York City police or New York PD detectives for transport to New York City for trial. So this next part is actually pretty interesting. So when the train actually reached St. Louis, Missouri, Lucky Luciano detectives had to change trains. They were actually guarded by 20 local police officers to prevent a mob rescue. They arrived April 18th and Lucky Luciano was sent to jail without bail. By May 13th, 1936, Lucky Luciano's trial for the pandering case actually began. Dewey prosecuted the case. However, it was Carter who built the case up against Lucky Luciano. He accused Lucky of being the ringleader of the prostitution ring and called um, and called the combination. Dewey exposed Lucky Luciano for lying on the witness stand by quizzing him and showing phone records to him and uh, taped phone conversations. Lucky Luciano also had no reasonable explanation for why his federal income taxes actually claimed that he only made $22,000 a year and stated that he clearly was a very wealthy man. And Dewey brought up Lucky's long arrest record as well as his close association with known gangsters such as Mazzareo, Ciro Tarnavia, Lepe Bolcher, so it was around June 7th, Lucky Luciano was convicted of 62 counts of compulsory prostitution. So June 18th, he actually would be sentenced um, to 30 to 50 years in state prison, along with Batello and other members of his faction. Many people question if Lucky Luciano was actually directly involved with the prostitution ring.
basically profit they say for sure definitely um being evolved no it, it basically it would mean uh, a boss of you know lucky luciano's stature normally would not be you know hands-on with direct operations of the prostitution ring it would be out of character for somebody of his stature to do that but the evidence Dewey used was shockingly thin and most say that lucky luciano did not even take the stand and if he and if he could have the case probably would have been dropped plus at least two of lucky luciano's business associates denied lucky luciano was um, ever part of the combination and Podley Andler, Polly Andler, who was a high society madam, said if Lucky Luciano was involved with the combination, she would have known it. Uh, Bonanno, the last surviving business associate of Lucky Luciano that was actually free, stated that Lucky Luciano was never involved in prostitution directly. Both people said soldiers would actually use Lucky Luciano's name to intimidate brothel keepers into paying for their protection. They said that Dewey built his case on Lucky Luciano's name, not Lucky Luciano's activities. Now, keep in mind, though, that key witnesses also stated that Lucky Luciano was directly involved with the prostitution ring called the combination and said that he would actually frequently discuss the sex industry business, stating that and described it as a basic uh, basic A and B stores for a large syndicate. Um, sim- to be ran similar as chain stores. And if a brothel fell behind payment on their kickbacks, Lucky Luciano would order a crack, uh, basically saying crack the joint up. And one person said that Lucky Luciano was working out of the Woolof Australia office suite that he had. He had actually personally hired him to collect from the brothels as well as from bookers. So naturally, while Lucky, Luci- Lucky Luciano was locked up, he did continue to run his criminal family from prison. Now, he actually used that, um, the acting boss, Genevieve, to relay his messages, however. Now, 1937, Genevieve went on a run to Naples to try to avoid an upcoming uh, murder indictment in New York City. Now, naturally, again, appointed um, Costello as a new acting boss to oversee all of the business interests. Luciano was first locked up in Sing Sing Correctional Facility located in Austrian, New York. uh, 1936 authorities actually relocated him to the Clinton Correctional Facility in Dona Maria, stating that it was remote and farther away from New York City. So at Clinton, Batello would actually make special dishes for Lucky Luciano in a special kitchen authority set aside for Lucky Luciano himself. Lucky would end up working in the laundry room. So check this out. Lucky used his influence and his connections to get material to build a prison church. And it is the only freestanding church in the New York prison system that also has church doors that are original doors from the Victoria, the actual sip from the Ferdinand uh, Magdalena. So Lucky's legal appeals would continue until October 10th of 1938. 
And that is when the U.S. Supreme Court flat out, just flat out, refused to review his case. Said, we ain't doing it. So it was at that point that he decided to step down. Now, and Frank Costello formally actually replaced him. So also during World War II, Lucky Luciano actually managed to land a secret deal with the United States government. Uh, reason being, in 1942, the Office of Naval Intelligence was concerned about the Italian and German secret agents were coming into the U.S. through the New York Harbor uh, waterfront. And they were very concerned about sabotage of the facilities. So they knew that Lucky Luciano actually controlled the whole waterfront. So they made a deal with Lucky Luciano. Um, first step was Lucky was to be uh, transferred to the Great Meadowview uh, Correctional in Comstock, New York, which was actually most clo- uh, much closer to New York City. Uh, the Navy and the state of New York also lessened uh, Lucky Luciano's sentence. So Anastasia actually promised Lucky Luciano no dock work strikes would occur during the wartime efforts. So Lucky Luciano helped the United States prepare to invade Sicily in 1943 through his mafia contacts in Sicily. It became known as Operation Underworld. So most legal historians debate how much Lucky Luciano actually helped in those wartime efforts. In 1947, the Navy actually determined Operation um, Underworld discounted any value of Lucky Luciano's wartime efforts aid. However, in 1954, Governor Dewey actually stated Lucky provided many valuable uh, services to the naval intelligence. Lucky Luciano reportedly uh, said that the sinking of the SS Normandy in the New York Harbor... Even stranger, it was directed by Anthony Anastasio, which was Anastasia's brother. However, official United States Naval investigation found no evidence of sabotage at a sinkings whatsoever. So January 3rd, uh, 1946, Dewey reluctantly commuted Lucky Luciano's uh, pandering sentence and actually um, deported him to Italy. So Lucky Luciano was reluctant, but agreed, but also stated that he was still a United States citizen. February 2nd of 1946, two federal agents uh, transported Lucky Luciano from Sing Sing to Ellis Island for deportation proceedings. Now, it was in February... Sorry, I was just checking the date. Yeah, it was. It was February 9th that Lucky Luciano decided to have a spaghetti dinner. And he had that spaghetti dinner and shared it with Anastasia and five other actual guests that were there. February 10th, Lucky Luciano's ship sailed from the Brooklyn Harbor to Italy. February 28th, 17-day trip. Lucky Luciano's ship arrived in Naples. So there, Lucky Luciano told uh, reporters that he would most likely decide to live in Sicily. October of 1946, Lucky Luciano secretly moved or secretly went to Havana, Cuba. He arrived there October 29th and he was driven to Havana 
where he would get a um, place to basically stay while he was there. He wanted to, a way to be closer to the United States so that he could regain control over the American Mafia activities. And somehow, eventually, hopefully, he was hoping to move home. Now, Meyer Lansky already had been established in Havana, Cuba, and he was a major investor in Cuban gambling and their hotel projects that were ongoing. It was in 1946 that um, Meyer Lansky called for a secret meeting with all the heads of the mafia crime families in Havana, Cuba in December. It was named the Havana Conference. So they told their loved ones back home that it was just a business meeting and that it was also to see Frank Sinatra sing. The real reason was actually discuss all the business with Lucky Luciano in attendance. Three main topics were actually discussed during that meeting, which was the heroin trade, uh, the Cuban gambling, and what to do about Benjamin Bugsy Siegel and the sinking of the Flamingo Hotel project that was ongoing in Las Vegas. The conference lasted, you know, like roughly a week. And uh, December 20th, Lucky called for a private meeting with Genevieve's in Lucky's hotel room. That year, earlier, Genevieve's actually returned to New York to face trial for his 1934 murder charge. June of 1946, charges were dismissed. And unlike Costello, Lucky Luciano never really trusted Genevieve. So during that meeting, though, Genevieve tried uh, to convince Lucky Luciano to take back the title and become the boss of all bosses and let Genovese run everything else. So Lucky Luciano calmly rejected the offer. However, he stated the following. There will be, I abolish the boss of all bosses. It will never come back. I turned it down in front of everyone. Don't you remember this? It, and if I ever change my mind, I will, it will not be your decision nor no one else's decision. But... It won't be up to you at all, Genevieve, he said. Right now, he said, Genevieve works for me. And I am not in the mood to retire, Lucky Luciano stated. If I am to hear you say this again, he said, I will lose my temper. Soon after the conference started, the United States government heard that Lucky or learned that Lucky Luciano was in Cuba. He was seen there hanging out with Frank Sinatra and other celebrities as well as going out to all the most popular nightclubs. So he did not really keep a secret that he was there whatsoever. And this resulted in the United States government started to put pressure on the Cuban government to expel Lucky Luciano. So February 21st, 1947, Harry J. Ansler, um, at the time United States Navy Commissioner, Yes, the same one that actually criminalized cannabis. He told Cuba that they would actually block all prescription medication until Lucky Luciano was expelled. Only two days later, uh, the Cuban government arrested Lucky Luciano and deported him within only 48 hours. They placed Lucky Luciano on a Turkish freighter that happened to be selling to Genia. So after Lucky's secret trip to Havana, he actually spent the rest of his life under police surveillance. As soon as he arrived in Geneva on April 11, 1947, the Italian police arrested him and this time actually sent him to jail in Parlemo. 
May 11th, Parlemo Commission actually released Lucky Luciano and told him to stay out of trouble. July of 1949, authorities in Rome actually arrested Lucky Luciano on suspicion of shipping narcotics to New York City. July 15th, only a week in jail, Lucky Luciano was released without charges. They actually banned Lucky Luciano from ever coming to Rome again. June 9th, Naples police actually arrested Lucky Luciano and questioned him about bringing $57,000 and a new American car into Italy's harbor. 20 hours later, they released him without charges. 1952, the Italian government revoked Lucky's passport after pressure from the United States and the Canadian governments. November 1st, 1954, the Italian Judicial Commission in Naples put very strict limitations to Lucky Luciano's lifestyle, meaning what he can do, (coughs) when he can leave his house, and what he can do. And this lasted for a total of two years. So Lucky was actually required to report to police every single Sunday, and he had to stay home every single night. He was not allowed to leave the city of Naples without police permission. The commission said that Lucky's involvement in the narcotics trade, uh, it made him, uh, it basically made their reasons justified. Back in the United States, though, Genovese felt that he could actually make a move against Lucky Luciano and Costello and um, had help from Carlos Gambino. May 2nd, 1957, Vincent Chen Genadiz managed to ambush, ambush Costello in the Central Park apartment lobby, the Majestic. He yelled at Frank Costello and then turned to Vincent. When Frank turned to Vincent, Vincent shot him in the head. And he left quickly, actually thinking that he had killed him. However, the bullet actually just grazed Costello's head. And although he was not seriously injured at all. Now, although Costello uh, flat out refused to press charges, Vincent was arrested for attempted manslaughter. And he was acquitted at trial, however, and was actually thanking Costello in court, you know, after the verdict was read. Costello decided to retire after that and leave Genovese in complete control which actually formed the Genovese crime family. Lucky Luciano was completely powerless to stop it. October 25th, 1957, Genovese and Gambino arranged for the murder of Anastasia, another Lucky Luciano's allies. The very next month, Genovese called for a meeting to approve um, of his Luciano family uh, takeover and establish him um, as the boss of all bosses. Instead of, instead, the famous Appalachian meeting went south. Police actually raided it, resulting in 65 high-ranking mobster leaders leading to numerous grand jury summons, and the angry leaders blamed Genovese for this disaster. Lucky Luciano was rumored to have attended a uh, big meeting in Parlemo to discuss the heroin trade and to be added to the French connection. Now, after that meeting, Lucky helped uh, pay part of $100,000 to a Puerto Rican drug dealer. 
uh, to falsely implicate Genovese in a large drug deal. Later, April 4th, 1959, um, Genovese was actually convicted of uh, conspiring to violate federal um, drug laws. So he was actually sent to prison for a total of 15 years, and he died in prison. Now, in 1969, uh, Gambino became uh, the most powerful mobster. Now, Lucky Luciano actually died of a heart attack January 26, 1962 at Naples International Airport. Now, he went there to actually uh, meet with Martin Gosh, an American film producer. To discuss making a movie about his life to be titled Lucky Luciano. Now, to avoid upsetting other mafia members, people say that he always refused film offers before. However, um, after, all that changed after his wife, Lisanani's death, which was considered to be his love of his life. So after that meeting, Lucky Luciano was actually stricken with the heart attack. Now, he was actually unaware that Italian drug official agents had followed him there, and they were planning on arresting him on drug smuggling charges three days later. 300 people actually attended the funeral service for Lucky Luciano in Naples. Now, his family actually managed to get permission from the United States government to get his body and bring it to the United States for burial. Now, Lucky is buried at St. John's Cemetery in the Middle Village in Queens, New York. Over 2,000 mourners attended his funeral. 1998 Time Magazine placed Lucky Luciano among the 20 most influential um, builders and titans of the 20th century. Now, Lizani was Lucky's last love and they had no children. Liziani died of uh, breast cancer in 1959. Um, Real quick, the reason why Luciano never had children is he stated, I didn't want no son of mine to go through life as a son of Luciano, the gangster. That's one thing he said, I still hate Dewey for, for making me a gangster in the eyes of the world. So like I said, this episode was going to be mainly just research material. I will state a couple things real quick. Um, If you see me looking down, it's because I'm running out of time on one of my other devices that I'm recording on. I'm using two different devices. So we're just going to try to wind this down real quick while this is counting down. Um, Anyways, one of the things I like most about Lucky Luciano is the fact that he only saw green. Lucky Luciano was a man that did not care about your race, your religion, what neighborhood you came from. He did not care. (coughs) All that he cared about was, can I trust you? And if Lucky Luciano felt that he could trust you, he would do business with you. And it is said that once you do business with Lucky Luciano, unless you cross him, it is a lifelong uh, partnership. That's just the kind of guy he was. Lucky Luciano is known as one of the geniuses of the criminal underworld. In a time period in America where there was a lot of racism going on um, from Italians against other people, amongst even Sicilians against Italians and Italians against Sicilians and them against the Irish and everybody against the Scots, uh, Scottish population and all that, living in poor slums, um, 
Lucky Luciano saw past that and said, you know what? I'm going to break these stereotypes and I'm going to open up the gates. I'm going to do business with Jewish people. I'm going to do business with um, Irish people. I'm going to do business with non-Italians. Because you know what? They're loyal, they're honest, and they can make money. And that's the only thing I care about is profit. And not just that. He went one step farther and actually made a whole system to where there's a president, a commissioner, vice commissioner, a whole ranking system. And this included other families from other states underneath that umbrella, which included the people that they were representing. So he actually organized everything. And that's the reason why Lucky Luciano will always be one of my favorite people in history. So once again, this has been Mike for Working Class Thoughts. And I hope everybody learned something about Lucky Luciano. I hope that um, you guys enjoy the extra features. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, um, shortly after I get done talking, this particular thing, I set a bunch of um, information up to music. And uh, this is a lot of good rare pictures in this and just pictures in general of Lucky Luciano, his associates, and other things. Stay tuned after this episode. I will be uploading a part two with special features. Um, including the original Lucky Luciano movie that was supposed to be made that you heard me talking about, as well as my personal favorite mob movie that was ever made. Sorry to say it. I know everybody's thinking I'm going to say Godfather. You would be wrong. Uh, My favorite mob movie that was ever made is Bugsy. Warren Warren Betty starred in that. And um, I'm actually going to include that in part two along with a couple documentaries and other things like I always do. So if you're one of my audio listeners, remember, go to Working Class Thoughts. It's no longer Working Class Thoughts online library. It's just Working Class Thoughts. So type in Working Class Thoughts on YouTube. Uh, Go to my channel, and you can access the part two and actually see um, all the extra features that I decided to put into it. So once again, this has been Mike for Working Class Thoughts. Everybody have a great night. Peace, love, and good vibes, everybody. Have a good one.